Welcome to the First State Insights, a podcast presented by the University of Delaware's Institute for Public Administration, IPA for short. My name's Sean O'Neill, and I'm a staff member at the Institute. I'm happy to be your host for this episode. Thanks for tuning in. On today's episode, I'll be talking with Terry Tiemann, town manager of Fenwick Island, Delaware. This conversation was recorded on October 14th, 2020. We discussed how Terry became a town manager, some of the unique challenges facing towns and cities right now during COVID-19, and Terry's experience as a woman in leadership in local government. I hope you enjoy the episode. We are happy to have Terry Tiemann, town manager of Fenwick Island, Delaware, with us today. So thanks for joining us today, Terry. Hi, Sean. How are you? Good, good. For those listening who don't know, Fenwick is located in Sussex County, just above the border with Ocean City, Maryland. So it's one of our uh, coastal beach resort towns that we're so fortunate to have here in Delaware. And uh, if you were if you were on the Zoom with me now, you'd get a great view of the uh, beach in the background that, that Terry has. So it's it's uh, always nice to remember that we have those here in Delaware. So it's one of our great assets as a state. Having said that, I'd, I'd like to start by asking you to tell us a little bit more, a little bit about your background and what inspired you to become a town manager. I'll start out by saying I never intended to be a town manager. <laughs> and I think that's true for many, many people that go into this profession. But I ended up, um, I, I never, no one ever says I want to be a town manager when I grow up, which is unfortunate because it's a great job. But I, uh, I, I have an undergraduate degree in psychology. And so I ended up working in retail for uh, several years and decided that wasn't for me. And then I went to work for Playtex. It was a local company. I, I was living in um, Dover at the time. And I, I started working for Playtex as a telemarketer. And I, I wanted, I always thought to get like a master's. Well, at that time, I got an MBA from Wilmington University in, um, in 1988. And then there was just no opportunity for advancement at Playtex or I, for some reason. And so I, I responded to an ad in the paper for the city of Dover. And Bob Bertolotta, who was the manager at the time, took a chance and hired me because I had a pretty good skill set that seemed to fit this position. And, and the, the job at the time was administrative services director. And what that really meant was I handled all their um, accounts receivable, their billings for electric and water and wastewater and uh, any miscellaneous billings. Uh, any any special assessments, those kinds of things. And I also handled the budget. And that was probably the key, handling the budget, because it, it introduced me to every department. I interacted with every department in the um, in the city of Dover. And I held that job for, for 23 years. It, was, um, it wasn't the same always, but I, I was at the time, I, I went to my first department head meeting. I was the only woman in the room. And so it startled me because prior to that, I had worked in an office of all women at Playtex. <laughs> it really startled me. But that was the beginning of my career path as a town manager. I became a department head. That's great. Yeah, I, the, the um, background having worked at Playtex is, is an interesting one. Like you yeah. said, you know, working with, with women, that's, that's very interesting. The, uh, you know, one of the things that I think is very interesting that I know about your experience is that you've worked in a few different towns in Delaware. You mentioned Dover, but I know you've also worked in Harrington and now in Fenwick. Can you describe how each one of those places was a little bit different and, 
you know, from a town manager or municipal employee perspective, you know, what you learn from working, working at each place that was valuable? Well, Dover, where I started, was, it was more centralized because it was a bigger community. And I started there, you know, like way a long time ago, like in 1988. So when I started working for Dover, I think it was around 35,000 people. But it was also the job that I had to do was more centralized. It was more focused. And like I said, I started out uh, working on budgets and accounts receivable, and then that expanded. I ended up uh, in several different departments. I always kept the accounts receivable and, and the budgeting, but then I, we added the capital planning aspect of it was added. Then um, years later, I handled warehousing and purchasing. So I learned each time I was given a new assignment, I learned lots and lots and lots. At the end of my career there, I was also handling strategic planning. And I think, you know, those things were critical. They were critical things and skill sets that a town manager or a city manager needs. So, and I, and I learned enough about the, the city itself to, you know, have, have experience maybe in a little bit of each one of those things. So that, I had been at Dover for 23 years, and I, I think it was 2011, we'd just been through the 2008-2009 economic downturn. and. I knew that I needed a, a change of pace because it was uh, the pressure was really on then because of the recession, out of balance budgets, and it was just becoming. I, I thought I, I just needed a change. So when the job in Harrington came up, I retired from Dover and I went to work for Harrington, and I loved it there. It was a small community, about one tenth the size of Dover, but I learned so much because I, I had to wear every different hat. I looked, you know, they had water. Um, water line, sewer line, and uh, big inflow and infiltration issues, which is where your lines are leaking and they, and you, it, you know, and you get water inflowing into your sewer lines, creating a problem. And they had just hooked on to uh, Kent County sewer because of a problem they'd had with their own sewer system. So I really learned a lot in Harrington. We implemented uh, usage billing, which, you know, all my experience in Dover with account. Uh, receivable in electric and water sewer bills really helped me to implement that. Uh, we were able to um, complete a rate study in-house, and it took a couple years to do, but it, it was one of the best things that could have happened for Harrington. They were actually getting usage billing out of it. Uh, it. In terms of the environment, it was fantastic because before that, they were billing people at a flat rate. So you could lay a garden hose down, let it run for an hour, and your bill was going to be the same no matter what. Mm -hmm. People, There was no incentive for people to fix leaky faucets or, or drips because it didn't matter. You know, mm -hmm. it could leak all it wanted to. So that, that single thing was probably one of the biggest advantages. One of the biggest ways I helped Harrington. And I learned all those things that was great. And then um, several years later, about three years ago, the job in Fenwick came up and I, I we'd always wanted to transition to the beach. So this was a, a great opportunity. And I um, applied some of the same things I've learned in other places. Be, you know, you, implementing technology, putting a general ledger system in place. Small towns are a lot different. I said earlier, Harrington and Fenwick were, you know, Fenwick's even smaller. Harrington was about a tenth the size of Dover. If people know people there and they're, they're, they've been become entrenched a lot of times. You know, they listen to their friends before they listen to you. So working in a, a small town is a lot different and has different challenges, but it's also very, very rewarding. I felt like it was the Dover that I first started in when I went to Harrington. And, it, and 
I uh, learned a lot how to you, you're a little bit more flexible because you don't have as many people. The rules don't have to be so hard and fast. You know, you can allow people the ability to, you know, flexibility to to do things a little bit differently than you work in a in a larger town where there are unions and you know, you have unions and that kind of thing. So I think there are advantages and disadvantages to both. I, I recommend that if you're going into government, I would recommend doing uh, a little bit of seeing what you like. You know, I, I um, missed over in lots of respects, but I found uh, new challenges along the way in both Harrington and Fenwick. So in, in Fenwick, the issues, every town has its own character. In Fenwick, the issues are more environmental. We lie between a bay and the ocean, the Atlantic Ocean. Mm-hmm. So we're very concerned about the environment. We're very concerned about, you know, sea level rise and climate change here. And you can see the effects. You can see on a non-rainy day, we will have back bay flooding. So, so I've changed my focus. I think the key is whatever job you take, wherever you take it, never stop learning. You can't, you can't afford as a manager or, or any level employee to stop learning about what's happening in your town and your community. Yeah, that's really interesting. A lot of things you said there. Um, one is that it's it's interesting that um, I I do know you know a few town managers in Delaware, and it, it does seem like backgrounds are really diverse in terms of like how you get to be a town manager. You know, planners, even like town clerks, um, right. people kind of start from various backgrounds. Public works, but on the coastal flooding topic, it's interesting. I used to work for City of Annapolis, which is a you know local government, but much, much bigger than most communities in Delaware, about 35,000 people. And we saw the coastal flooding issue firsthand as well. I mean, I can remember when I first moved to Annapolis, which was around 2006, uh, between then and now, I mean, it, it's very noticeable, the coastal flooding. I mean, like when you get, a, like you said, just a heavy rain day, uh, part of the city dock floods now. And it, it used to flood, but it was never it was never to the point where you couldn't drive a car through it. And now it is. So I think, yeah, that's, that's very interesting. Um, and and it know, can last two or three days. Yeah. And it, yeah. and it, and it, you can't sometimes drive a car. What's interesting is if you get a heavy rain, it may start to drain and then you get a high tide. You're it's, you know, that could last. And if you have wind that could last for several days. It's, so it's, it's really, um, it's been noticeable to the people who have said, you know, I live, I've lived here all my life. You've been coming here for like 30 or 40 years. And it's only in the last 10 that we're seeing this kind of flooding. And it, and so we're, you know, we've just decided, Fenwick has, that we probably need to get a drainage study, a master drainage plan. And so we'll be looking into that as we move forward. You know, that's, it's a long-term goal, but I think we, you know, we're going to have to figure out how we live with the water and the land. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So as you might know, um, and others might know at IPA, we've started an initiative focused on recovery, particularly related to COVID-19, but, you know, kind of all aspects of, of the COVID pandemic called Recover Delaware. And, we, you know, we want to we want to help Delaware communities and, and the state recover in all aspects from the public health side to the economic impacts. And even even on the topic of community engagement and trying to ensure that, you know, we keep we keep residents and everyone engaged and informed. Having said that, what are some of the unique issues that uh, you know that local governments are facing right now that many people might not understand or know about uh, related to the pandemic? Uh, when we were talking earlier, you, you, you already mentioned one 
uh, related to your management with the lifeguards, which I, I thought was uh, very interesting and honestly not something that would have come to my mind right away, yeah. but maybe that so, and, and some others. So I think, you know, you mentioned health, and I think the first the first real issue for all towns and not just coastal communities, but keeping our, our staff safe and how do we continue to function because communities are very mobile. We have mobile workforces. You know, you, public works are mobile. Police are mobile. Basic life support and, and fire, they're all mobile and they're out interacting with the public on a regular basis. Planning or inspection is mobile. So how do you make sure that we're safeguarding the staff? That was the biggest issue right out of the, and, and not just the staff, but citizens. You know, I, we we had to make sure that the police and the public works were safe. And then the bigger issue going forward into the summer was how am I going to staff a beach with lifeguards? Mm-hmm. And fortunately, and uh, Rick Rickacheski uh, is our beach patrol captain. We relied heavily on AJ Shaw and, and the you know, Department of Health and Social Services in Delaware to give us guidance and, and to see us through. And, you know, I have to commend them. They, you know, they worked hand in hand with not just Fenwick, but every community and got us what we needed. Um, we were able to get through the, the, the summer full, fully staffed. We had one person test positive and, and you know, through the uh, getting getting first responders tested, we were te- we tested our guards twice. We had a scare once, and then we just thought it was a good idea to do it again a second time when, when the person tested positive. But we manned our uh, we were able to man every beach end, and we were, were fully staffed through the whole summer. And you know, I'm just I I I say this all the time, but you know, some of that was luck, but a lot of it was just doing the right thing. And that was, you know, every guard was wearing a mask. Every guard was, you know, had hand sanitizer. Every guard was doing what they were supposed to be doing. And, you know, that, and I had many conversations with our beach patrol captain and he said, you know, I feel confident that what we're doing, you know, from nine to five is the right thing. But how do you handle it after five o'clock? When, you know, lifeguards come to the beach, they're very social creatures to begin with. How do you handle them afterwards? And so we just had, he had major discussions on a regular basis. Again, I think we, I think we said earlier before we started the podcast that it's communication, communication and re-messaging and re-messaging and re-messaging. And that, that is basically what we did this summer and that got us through. But it wasn't just the citizens. I mean, the staff, we had to think about the citizens too. So, we did a lot of signage. Again, I commend the state for helping us with that signage. And it was just getting the word out. You know, every restaurant had and still does have signed on their doors. We had them at the beach ends, you know, wear a mask, social distance, stay six feet apart, walk, you know, wash your hands on a regular mm-hmm. basis. So all of those things had to be done. And, you know, Fenwick probably had a little less uh, effort you know, to keep the crowd control or the citizens safe than what Bethany and, and Rehoboth and even Lewis had. But we still had issues, you know, um, Budding Avenue is like our boardwalk and it got crowded. So there were times we had to post signs out there, you know, and initially we had to close beaches till we were ready to make sure that, you know, today could be made safe. So we ended up uh, very lucky. And I, I say I'd rather be lucky than smart any day. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> But we, I have to attribute that to my guards and to their, to the management of the guards, to the 
the senior staff of the guards and um, our, our police force that, you know, we've been very lucky. We had a couple scares there and they've been doing what they're supposed to be doing. Um, we had some internal issues to overcome um, and some staff changes, but I have to commend our police department as well and public works. So far we've been, you know, I'm knocking on wood here, but so far we've been able to maintain our services to people. Uh, we've closed our buildings, or, you know, some staff work remotely. That was, you know, a challenge, you know, working remotely. We were able to get policies from the ICMA and um, just we share a lot of information from other communities. And I think that's what's so good about Delaware. We have a very tight-knit, you know, community among municipalities and we all are, are open to sharing data and helping each other. And um, I can't, I think that's key in, in situations like what we've been through with the pandemic and also with with um, the racial tension that has happened throughout the country. That's a good segue into my next questions in some ways, because um, I know you've been very active in ICMA, which for those that don't know is the International City Managers Association. I believe that I got that right. And you're now on the regional leadership council for ICMA. Is it the Mid-Atlantic or the East Coast? Or is it the Northeast East? Regional. Northeast um, Regional. The ICMA Executive Board. I, I just wanted one other yeah. thing we didn't touch on about the pandemic, and I know this isn't unique to towns, but it is kind of unique to towns. That is a revenue shortage. You know, yeah. we, we have seen some impacts to it. I don't think, yeah. I know that Rehoboth has experienced, we've all experienced, uh, you know, losses in parking revenue and gross rental receipts revenue. I know that, you know, some of the communities that have utilities have not been allowed to disconnect those utilities and they're facing, communities are facing big decisions in the next few uh, months, even years, I think down the road. We, we do not know how this is going to impact our, our uh, revenue streams. And so I just did not want to leave that out. Safety was all obviously the most important issue. But after that, I think some of our uh, communities are really going to be hit hard by lack of revenue. And um, for instance, you know, capital improvement projects may have to be you know, deferred. Uh, labor, you know, may have to be furloughed. People may not uh, receive raises and that kind of thing. And those are all issues that are out there. And unfortunately, we've not received any kind of uh, funding for, for this from stimulus packages that have been put in place. But I just, I, I, I thought of that as we were transitioning. So um, I didn't, I didn't want to be remiss and not mention that yeah. communities are looking at a hard. Uh, Row ahead, road ahead, and we need to um, we need to we need to really be thinking about how we're going to meet those needs. Yeah, I mean, frankly, when I've thought about it before, that that is the first thing that comes to my mind when you know. So, so you're pointing out the the staff needs is really something that I, that I I had been overlooking, but the the budgetary concerns are are certainly a big issue. You know, state local. Uh, you certainly use some some more financial support. That's for sure. Um, it's the, really uh, a terrible issue. Yeah, but so if you want to speak, you know, just briefly in terms of uh, what what ICMA is working on to help support you know municipal managers and towns right now, and and how that support has has been helpful for local governments in Delaware. So two things ICMA recognized right off right away as the pandemic hit that towns would need support. And so there were major, they've been doing uh, all kinds of training in terms of COVID and 
in terms of how does it affect labor? How does it affect revenue and budget shortfalls? How does it, um, you know, how can you, how can you remote work? You know, uh, even the first weeks uh, in mid-March uh, in the first weeks, I was able to look for a remote working policy. We were able to look, for, you know, labor issues like how what if somebody goes on vacation to a hot spot do they have to quarantine you know, all kinds of helpful information ICMA's made that available on their website and not just to members but to also non-members so and then you know as if the pandemic wasn't enough uh we have the racial equity mm-hmm. issue and the systemic racism mm-hmm. and and policing and so they've really stepped up and there are all kinds of training sessions. We just had the uh, annual conference. It was um, done virtually, of course, but there were all kinds of very appropriate, time-appropriate topics about how do you handle policing, you know, discussions on what, what are, you know, how do we support our police? I think that was critical. Uh, the board met during the time of um, the uh, George Floyd uh, issues and just knew that we needed to make a statement about systemic racism, but also to let, you know, it's our job to make sure that our communities are safe and that we support our police. So it, it was a, it was um, something that we really have pushed education on and, and, you know, making sure that that communities have the support that they need. So I think in those terms, ICMA uh, really hit it out of the park in terms of supporting local communities and the needs surrounding the issues of the day, which is our COVID and systemic racism and policing. That's great. Yeah. And and especially in terms of policing, that's a, that's a local government issue primarily. So it's great to hear that they're focused on that, providing that training that everybody needs. I also wanted to give a a quick plug to our University of Delaware ICMA student chapter. That's been very uh, active uh, recently. Marcia Scott's kind of headed that up. It's phenomenal. Um, we're I will very say excited that. about that. Yeah, and yeah. we're gonna we're we're working on you know ensuring that we keep those students uh, in that chapter you know well engaged, uh, particularly through you know the winter and flu season and all that. We we want to make sure that we we keep everyone active in that because that has been a big success. ICMA has re- is our school our student chapter has not gone unnoticed, and so we've been given lots of national recognition. And it's a phenomenal group of young people. I, I, we were lucky enough to have a summer fellow uh, last year, and um, she was fantastic. She's now working in a local municipality, and she's, and I'm sure she's doing. If I know her, I'm sure she's doing a fantastic job. So I can't uh, praise that group enough. And Marcia Scott's done a phenomenal job, and of course. You know, we're very happy. It's energized the, the local city managers as well. And, and Dr. Lewis was recognized recently yes, the, on a national level. So we are very, very proud of him and the student chapter. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, that was, that was great to see as well um, and well-deserved. Um, yes, it was. So you know, finally, I wanted to get to, you know, another important point. Is that, you know, as a woman in a leadership role here in Delaware, I wanted to see if you could speak to uh, some of the challenges that you and your female colleagues sometimes face that are, you know, sort of easy to overlook, you know, for, for men or for people in general sometimes and not understand some of the challenges that go along with, with being a woman in a leadership position. There, um, well, thank, I think, you know, women in Delaware have made some really substantial 
progress. And I'm, I'm, it was funny that you're asking me this because Amory Townsend, the, the, the manager from Lewis and I just presented to the, the clerk's class, you know, women leading government, which is a, is a group of women that, uh, that meet on a regular basis here in Delaware. But just to give you an idea, in Delaware, there are 57 municipalities and 11 women serve as mayors of those municipalities, or 19.3%. And there are 36 municipalities that have managers and 15 are women. Mm-hmm. And most of those women manage communities in Sussex County, I would just like to say. So we, we've made some progress, but there's much progress to be to be made too. So, you know, I think the thing that I know for myself, and I we've just talked to the clerks about this, is that, you know, women say it's the way we're socialized. And I think women say to themselves, you know, well, I can't, they won't apply for a job. And we know this from many, many studies. I won't apply for a job unless I feel like I can, I can do that job a hundred percent, but I can guarantee you there's, you know, a, a, and men feel differently about that. We've learned that men say, I can do, you know, I, if I can do 60% of that job, I can, you know, I'll learn the rest. And so I, every time I talk to women, I think, make sure you, even if you can only do 50% of the job, you know, have confidence in that you can learn the other part of it. I, I know that, you know, like I, that used to happen to me. And fortunately I had managers who would say, well, you, you know, you can figure this out. Like strategic planning. I knew nothing about strategic planning when that was assigned to me in Dover. And I don't know why it didn't occur to me after, you know, that, geez, if I could learn how to do strategic planning and I could learn how to do warehousing and I could learn, I could take on, why couldn't I, why didn't I have confidence to think I could do a city manager role? And I think what I'm asking is, you know, people that, that are, um, that are not the majority have to depend on them, on, on, that are the minority have to depend on the majority to help them. And so what I'm asking is, if, if you're a man in a, in a role as a manager or a leadership role, and there's a woman sitting there that has accomplished a lot in her, in her career, you know, don't overlook that person because they may be overlooking themselves. So recognize that there might be a skill set that's undiscovered or unnoticed. And that, but women need to do that for themselves, too. And so that's, that's what Anne-Marie and I were trying to get women to see that. You have a skill set. You you're perfectly capable. Sometimes more capable than 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 the man that might get that job. So you know, take a risk. Take a risk on yourself, and you be confident that you can learn that. Be mm-hmm. confident that you can do it. Take a seat at the table. You know, there, you can always talk about. You know, we talk about this in the clerks class that you know, uh, saying a woman is ambitious is. And Anne Marie tells a great story about um, one of her. Uh, one of her colleagues went out to dinner with uh, she and her husband and said, you know, Anne-Marie's pretty ambitious. And her husband went, no, she's not. And, you know, we, we have to come to terms with being ambitious is not a bad thing. But yeah. for women, you know, that label that we, we think that that's a bad thing. It's, it's not really. If you say you're ambitious and you're a guy, it's just accepted. It's just a different role that women are used to, a different label that women are not used to wearing. And so... I, I always say, you know, really believe in yourself and trust your gut instincts because you'll and you'll do fine. But uh, it, it, you know, it has been challenging. I think I mentioned that working in Dover, I was the first, I was the only woman in the room, you know. Mm-hmm. So 
there were sometimes issues between me and my fellow department heads that had to be resolved, but it, you just, and you just have to stand your ground. Yeah. And, um, but the, I think I can say as, as a man, that is something that I, I've noticed a, a, a few times in the past, but it's always more of a perspective thing. Like, Oh yeah, this is what it's like to be in a room that is not majority, you know, and yeah, right. you know, you're talking about decision makers, you know? So, uh, yeah, it's, it's an important point to keep in mind. That's great that you spoke to the clerk's class. I should point out that uh, that's another, that's an IPA uh, led program. We have Leanne Moore uh, is doing an awesome job. It's her first year doing it with the pandemic. She's doing a fantastic job. Um, but that, that program's, that program's great. Um, and it has led to a few um, town managers, you know, kind of got their start there. They went through the well, first Chris, program. Steve Rogers in Milton. Yep. Started yeah. out as a, as a clerk. A clerk's job is to know all the backup information about that a town, you know, FOIA is a very critical information uh, information for a town to have. And so uh, they are, to me, a clerk is a stepping ground for a town manager. And in a lot of small towns, a clerk would easily step into that role and have no issue. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, and I don't think that that's always been, that's always been the case that uh, women weren't always thought of for that position, but it's a great training ground for that. I, I did want to mention that, you know, the reason we were asked to speak at, at, at the um, first class was the Women Leading Government, which is mm-hmm. a, uh, several communities or several states have Women Leading Government chapters, and um, Women Leading Government got started in, in our community, in our state, um, by a, a, a group of, we were actually at a regional conference for ICMA, and a lot of women were where they had like a women's symposium and we were all four female managers, myself, Amory Townsend, Sharon Lynn of Rehoboth and uh, Carol Houck of Ocean View. And we, back then she was in Newark. All got together and said, you know, we should do this. We need to lift women up. We need to make sure that women recognize that they, they have potential. And so it was founded, I think it was in 2016. So that group meets on a regular basis. And, um, you can always reach out to me or even Anne Marie, and we can put you in touch if you want, want to uh, join the group. And men are welcome, although I don't think we have um, uh, any men members at this point. But men are definitely welcome because we recognize that we all need to work together in order to advance women. Yeah, no, that's great. Yeah, and if, I'm happy to help connect anyone that's interested yeah. as well uh, if you're listening. So, um, yeah, I just wanted to say as a um, Father of two little girls, I, I support I support all, all of those initiatives. Um, I want to see them do everything they can do. So I, I appreciate you joining us today, Terry. This has been great. It's always great to talk to you. Thank you. You and uh, you and Gene Dvornik from Georgetown and Christy often drive together up to our yes, local government do. trainings, and I, I miss seeing you guys in person. Yeah. So we call that car therapy. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I miss I miss seeing you all, and I hope that we can. Uh, get back yeah. to it, you know, sometime soon when it's safe. So yeah, we definitely miss seeing you guys too. So we're looking forward to that day when yep. it's safe to be together again. So thank you for having me. It's been a great, great experience. And I'm happy to chat with you, Sean. Great. Thank you very much. For more information about the town of Fenwick Island, please visit their website at fenwickisland.delaware.gov. And for more information on ICMA, please visit icma.org. These links are also provided in the show notes. To learn more about IPA, you can visit us at ipa.udel.edu. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. Subscribe to First State Insights so that you'll never miss an episode. 